Thank you for joining me on this week's Homeowners Be Aware podcast. I'm making a documentary film called Built to Last, Buyer Beware. It's about the risks we take when we buy houses, where we buy houses, and how much we really know about what we're buying and how safe it is. Hurricane Ian is a great example of that in Southwest Florida. Well, in making this documentary, I've teamed up with Eris Papadopoulos. He's my partner in this project. He's incredibly knowledgeable about all things construction. He wrote the book, Resilience, The Ultimate Sustainability, which was the Bible for my last documentary film, The Last House Standing. So today we're gonna to talk to Eris about what we've learned so far during our first week of production on the film. I'm George Siegel, and this is Homeowners Be Aware, the podcast that teaches you everything you need to know about being a homeowner. So we are sitting at a marina near Fort Myers Beach that was clearly damaged by a Hurricane Ian. So if you hear a lot of noise, it's background noise as they're fixing this. Eris, what are your thoughts so far on what we've seen down here? We've been to Naples, we've been to Punta Gorda, we've been to Fort Myers, Sanibel. Yeah, it's a couple of days and we've covered uh, quite a bit of ground here, all the places you mentioned. But the ground zero for me is here in Fort Myers Beach. I mean, I've seen the imagery of uh, post uh, Ian, and it's nothing like when you're here on the ground, you know, even a year later, seeing the extent of destruction. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that myself. I, I thought they would be further along when we got down here, but you, you think it's going to take several years. It's going to take a long time for this place to rebuild, and, and a lot of people won't have the money to do it. Exactly, yeah. I think what's getting rebuilt the quickest are those communities that have the money, that have their own money, let's say, to pay for it. We, we, we saw Sanibel, an hour and a half to get to what usually takes half an hour is taking an hour and a half, and 90% of the traffic were contractors going there. You know, So contractors are going to where the money is first to rebuild, and places like Fort Myers Beach, they were a middle-income community, you know, a lot of empty lots. But even a place like Sanibel, that if they have the money to start the rebuilding process, the problem they have, okay, all the mosquitoes, all the bugs, all the garbage, all the things that you can't necessarily control, even if you were to fix your house, it seems like it would be miserable to live there. Yeah, it's not the same Sanibel, it's not the same, it'll never be the same, you know, and it's gonna take over a decade, I think, to even get back to that comfort. And who knows what's coming during the de next decade? I mean, we're seeing these storms more frequent, intensifying faster. I mean, I personally would bet there's gonna be another hurricane uh, coming through this area way before that decade is over. So, you know, you got punched one, you're gonna get another punch, you know, maybe in a couple years, you know, maybe in two, th in three, four years if, if they're even lucky. Now we also uh, sat with the mayor of Naples and, and you talk about a community that has money so the area that, that they got the, back together the quickest was oh, yeah. Fifth Avenue. It's, yeah. They said almost the, after a few days, some of those restaurants were reopening. It's pretty amazing when, when you could put the money behind something and you have a drive to do it, it happens a lot quicker. Exactly. I had a small lunch there yesterday, Fifth Avenue. I could not see any evidence of destruction. No water lines on the walls, no damaged tiles, nothing. I mean, they had cleaned up everything. And they had a lot of water on that street. They did. They had a couple feet of water. You know, they had cars we saw that were floating you know, on the streets, just banging into whatever was, was downstream. Yeah, the mayor's van, she, she lost that to water and she oh, wasn't yeah. able to drive it. And it was really, it's really pretty unbelievable what they went through as well. 
So what would be takeaways? What have you, because you're an expert on construction and building to begin with, but now that you see this, are there any themes or thoughts you have for people who are thinking of relocating to an area like this? Yeah, this, this is not a place to, to come and, and to live. Okay, visiting is one thing. You know, taking a vacation is one thing. But if you want to take your life savings, let's say, you know, after you've worked for many years, and pluck it into a vulnerable location, and especially a house that's vulnerable because it was built, let's say, in the 60s or 70s, as a lot of these houses are, you're doing yourself and your family a big disfavor. I mean, don't do it. Some of the people we talked to said, don't do it. Yeah, the people that are victims certainly say that, but then you see so many people rebuilding. So what was insanity was we heard about in, in Sanibel, some people with ground level units were just fixing them and still planning to live in them. There will always be those kind of people. And, uh, you know, uh, as I said, the next event may come in a year, may come next year. You know, we don't know. And if you had to give people advice, so, okay, so you're not living here, even the thought process you should have when you move into a house, what should you be thinking about? Yeah, the first thing you should know is the location. What are the risks for that location? And when you talk about, let's say, most of the coastline here, we've got three major hazard categories. We've got the wind, we've got the wire, water, and we've got fire to always be concerned of. Fire, fire is everywhere. We don't have the seismic issues that they have, let's say, in the West Coast. When it comes to water, know the elevation of the location that you're planning, the neighborhood and the location that you're looking at. And I like to tell people anything less than 15 feet is risky. You're making me feel real good being it. <laughs> I know. Uh, anything less than 15 feet is risky. You know, 15 to let's say 25 is kind of in the middle. You're, you're okay at least maybe for the next 50 years, let's say, until sea level changes. Okay, but for people who don't know Florida, what yeah. you're basically saying is almost any place near the water, you happen to live in a unique spot. Mm -hmm where you have elevation naturally. Yeah. But if you were to talk about Tampa, if you were to talk about Naples or Clearwater, uh, St. Pete, none of those areas are that high. Yeah, these are all sandbars. These are sandbars that nature created. So, you know, we've settled on the sandbars, you know, and, and we know what happens to sandbars. They move with time. But in most of those situations, it's not realistic to be 15 feet up. So you're, you're just assuming that that's not going to work out for you if it... Is well, we bad? saw some houses that are pretty elevated. Some are one story, some are two stories elevated. That's the future. If you want to be here, you got to be in an elevated house. But 15, 15 feet would be tough to do. It is. That would be, it seems like it would be expensive. Now, we saw an interesting house yesterday made of polymer. What did you think of that construction? Yeah, I, I'd like to see this kind of innovation in the building industry. And, of course, the building industry is a conservative one where, you know, People want to see how any material, any type of construction behaves over decades, not just over, you know, a test period or, you know, a few couple of years. But I like what I saw. I mean, it's essentially it's the material that we build uh, boats with, you know, the, that, that reinforced uh, kind of fiberglass, fiber boards. Uh, and I like the ease of construction. So I think it's, it's something worthwhile uh, to try out maybe not on a massive scale until, you know, a decade or so goes by, but it's one of the options. Definitely better option than wood is down here because it's termite-free, it's, you know, fire, uh, very fire-resistant, 
but the rating they, they tested to was 290 miles an hour. I mean, that's, that's, that's impressive. A, you know, category six <laughs> that existed type, uh, type storm. So, uh, you know, I think it's, a, it's a, one of the options that definitely need to be put on the table. So we go from that extreme where you see a house made of polymer that they're building, and then right next to the hotel that I was staying at, they're building an entire huge apartment complex out of wood, and that's the ground floor to the third floor. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm very surprised that this county, Lee County, gave a permit for that kind of construction, especially after what they saw in Hurricane Ian. I'm gonna dig a little deeper to find out what's behind this, but to me that's inadmissible, you know? Yeah, I don't know how somebody could move in there with any kind of comfort. You have an entire apartment complex that you assume, if there's a storm, hundreds of people in that complex need to evacuate. You would not want to be riding it out in that kind of structure. I mean, we, we know that even with straps, even with metal re reinforcement, you know, to, to kind of hold the, the wood together, uh, any building built with two by fours can only max out at say 135 mile an hour wind speeds. And we need to be building things here to 165 mile an hour. So I don't know how they got permitted, but we're gonna find out. And then, so how would you carry that forward to, I look at a lot of the houses around where I live in Tampa, where they're building some over by the water that are six, seven million dollar houses. And they put concrete on the first floor that's elevated, but the second floor is made of wood. So, you know, if a cat, a four storm comes by, that second floor is gone and you might as well have wasted anything that's on the first floor. So you haven't done anything, you know, to protect the house. So they're, they're, it's a total loss, you know, from, from a destruction perspective. They've exposed themselves to anything above, let's say, a cat two, they're gone. Well, we interviewed a woman this morning who lost her duplex that she had here. We interviewed her on a, a completely empty lot. Her life is completely upended and changed. And she really directly said if she had it to do over, she would not live here and she would not move back. Is, is that the mentality we need to adopt? Are we just making a mistake trying to live in paradise? Well, paradise is always going to attract people. And, you know, what we know is that you've got to be more diligent to live in this kind of risky paradise because you've got to know it's paradise because it's pretty, it's close to the water, it's got you know, a lot of natural beauty, but nature also has a dark side. And that dark side is the destructive power of the force of wind and water. And unless we respect that, you know, we're gonna see disasters over and over and over again until, insurance, un until everything becomes uninsurable here. And the only way you can live here is if you're super rich and you self-insure. Which is probably what's going to happen. It's interesting with all these empty lots here. This uh, woman, Trixie, was telling us that people from out of state, a lot of families that have a second house, a main house somewhere else, like the idea of living in Florida, um, but they're not here all the time. So they at least have another option to go on with their lives. If this is your primary residence and something happens, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, if you've got the money, if you've got a second residence, if you can afford to insure yourself because, you know, you could rebuild with your whatever investment money you, you have, yeah, this is, this is a nice place to enjoy. But if you don't, I'd say come and visit, you know. 
come spend a week here and then go back home to your safety. Well, let's talk about Built to Last, Buyer Beware, because that's, that's why we're here. And, you know, our film that we've teamed up on hopefully is going to be a wake-up call for people, first of all, to have a much better understanding of what you're living in. What we find, anybody we talk to, we talk to a family that lived in Babcock Ranch that they didn't know what they were buying into. Do you think we're going to be able to wake people up? It's going to take time and a lot of education, but we got to do it. We've got to do it at every level. We've got to do it at the adult level, but we also got to do it at the level of our children. You know, how are we going to uh, educate the future buyers, the future homeowners, uh, and that's got to start in school. So Do they teach much resilience in school? Do you think that's being offered much? I don't think they teach very much. No, they, they probably teach like evacuation, you know, how do we evacuate from the school. They're teaching a lot of things about conservation, which is great. I mean, that's kind of, you know, picked up over the last 20 years or so. I remember my own daughters uh, checking on me when they were in their elementary school uh, on whether I was doing the proper recycling. You know, they, they had been taught in school what needed to be done and they were inspecting me, you know, the parent, okay? Sure. And I said, well, if they're already sensitive to that, you know, this is not just a fad, this is a social movement. We've got to create a, s a parallel social movement for resilience. You know? I would argue a lot of the people that are, are environmentalists, though, might not know much more about their house than the rest of us. They just know how to throw out what they're done using. It, to, to me, it's more of a complete rethinking because we've even talked about the things that I do wrong and I know better because I'm doing this as a, as, as a primary means of, 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 of what I do. So if the people, it's like a doctor who smokes. It's like, you know, they, they should know better. Yeah. But we just have this mentality that it's not gonna happen to us. Habits are hard to change, you know, habits are very hard to change. And if you've gone through a long period, let's say, where nothing negative has happened, you assume nothing negative will happen going forward. You know, it's, it's human nature. We judge the future based on the past. But if you take a bigger perspective of, you know, life and earth and, you know, the, 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 the environment, you see how much change has occurred over decades. You know, you see that things are not constant, you know. Uh, the hazards, you know, have been strong and have destroyed and changed, you know, the coastlines and the landscape, uh, f you know, continuously. Almost every official I've ever interviewed always says, hopefully this will serve as a wake-up call. Mm. It's like, if we're not awake now, what's going to be the wake-up call? I mean, this area had it. Yeah. They're just rebuilding. They didn't raise the code. Did they raise the code to 165? Are they as high as um, South Florida? They, they uh, that's something I need to check because Sunny, Sunny Bell Island, the, the, the town, let's say, told us that they had unilaterally raised the code to 165 above Lee County. I'd like to go back and check a little deeper into what Lee County is doing. And even if they did, okay, and let's assume, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, because mm -hmm. in Mexico Beach they did not. They only went up to 140 miles yes. an hour. Yeah. That's insane to me. They had their reasons for it. Mm -hmm. When you make a rule like a 165, are they going to let people slide on that if they have money and are coming into the area? Are you going to turn down revenue over principle and safety? That, that's a, a question we're, we're asking, you know, because a lot of development is encouraged, whether it's on vulnerable property or not. 
because communities want that extra revenue. They want you know to pay more to their employees. They want to provide more services to their constituents. So all this drives development maybe to an extreme. Yeah, I, I, I think money may talk for rebuilding a community uh, quicker, but it also talks for who you let come in and do things in your community because if you don't have the tax money from people, you got nothing. Exactly, yeah. But those same officials don't realize how expensive it is later to fix the things that were done in a vulnerable manner. How expensive it is to rebuild. And that's what they're not considering when they're inviting and approving development that probably should not happen. You know, a great example for not thinking for the future is a lot of communities when it's new and they have a freeway system there. And then once everything expands and grows out from the center of the town, they go, we need to upgrade this. And they want to put in all those clover leaves and all the different exits and everything because they didn't plan for it when they did it the first time. So when you first built that road, if you had done it the right way, it would cost a fraction of what it takes to then disrupt everybody's lives and fix a problem. Why don't we apply that to more things in the construction industry? Why aren't we thinking to the future? Well, because a lot of the building is still speculative in nature. In other words, there's a lot of development where the developer, let's say, only has like a three-year time frame. So the thinking is, how am I going to keep my costs down? How am I going to you know, complete this quickly? And how am I going to have the features that are going to, like the honey attracting the bees, you know, or the flies, you know, will attract those buyers to come in, look at the pretty, you know, cosmetics of, of whatever I've built, buy, and then basically I'd, I'll dissolve my special purpose development company and I'll move on, you know. After the warranty period, my hands are clean, you know. Meanwhile, Who's left to pay the, the bill? Well, the yeah. residents and the community. They're left to pay the bill and all of us, you know, who are paying into sta state taxes and national taxes, you know, all of us are paying for this. It would be so much easier if people were just forward thinking and in the construction industry what amazes me is the amount of people that say, well, it's built to code. That's not really a great term to have to hear. Yeah, it's better than not built to code. But. Yeah, <laughs> definitely better than not built to code. But most people have never been told that code is only set at a level to get you out. It's not set at a level to protect whatever you're getting out of. Mm -hmm. So if you've put your you know, uh, money into a house and have put you know, all your you know, furnishings and electronics and everything that we add to the house, you know, forget about the code protecting any of that. You know, that's why they say, oh, well, that's why you buy insurance. Okay, you buy insurance, but then you have your deductible, you have your cap, you have to wait until insurance pays you, and there are things you can never replace. So insurance is not a reason for us to be vulnerable. And what a lot of people are telling us, insurance may be something that you feel you have, but it's not always easy to get them to pay you. Their, their goal is not to pay you in many instances exactly. and to make it as long and drawn out as they possibly yeah. can. And we're going to be talking about that in the, in the film too. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about. We'll keep you updated on the progress of Built to Last Buyer Beware. We're going to Tampa next, then we're going to be up in the panhandle of Florida. We're working on a lot of big things. I'm excited about where this is going to go. Exactly, yeah. Thank you for joining me today. If you have a story about construction or things that have happened to you in your house, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. Fill out the contact form in the show notes. 
and uh, let me hear about it. You might be a guest on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening. See you next time.